Right, the Reverend John Witherspoon was a Scottish minister who emigrated to New Jersey in 1768 to become the president of the College of New Jersey, which we now to know, know today as Princeton. He held that position until his death in 1794. His lectures on moral philosophy had a great impact on many of the founding fathers, in particular one, James Madison. He was also one of the founding fathers of the United States as a delegate to the Second Continental Congress from New Jersey and a signer of the Declaration of Independence. However, for us today, this morning, we look to Reverend Witherspoon as a firm believer in the tenets of confessional Calvinism and a defender of traditional Scottish Presbyterian theology. So I'm going to read an abridged version of his first sermon on the fervency and importunity in prayer. For those of you who, as I undoubtedly did, missed that day in 11th grade English when it was on the vocabulary list, importunity is persistence, especially to the point of annoyance. So you'll want to keep that definition handy as importunity is used quite extensively throughout the sermon. As I read through the sermon, I will occasionally step away, kind of as I have right now. Uh, so, I'm, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> as I said, this is an abridged version. The original, which I highly recommend you read, it runs roughly 45 minutes. Uh, this version, however, will run more in the terms of like 17 or 18 minutes. Uh, needless to say, uh, quite a bit of it fell on the cutting room floor. Now, as I read through the sermon, I will occasionally step away, as I have right now, <laughs> either to summarize or explain certain sections. That, that way, hopefully, you'll still be able to understand what uh, uh, Witherspoon is trying to get at through that section. Uh, part of the cut section is in the very beginning. Uh, his original sermon was on the story in Genesis about Jacob wrestling with the angel. Uh, from that, he picks up the theme of wrestling and acquaints it with fervent prayer. Uh, so you'll hear this theme throughout the sermon. Uh, as our liturgist has just read, uh, I have selected a different scripture reading to go along with the abridged version of the sermon. Uh, the text from the Epistle of James was, in fact, used in the original sermon uh, by Reverend Witherspoon, and I think is a more appropriate to the overall theme of the sermon itself. So let us now hear from the Reverend Witherspoon. My brethren, real communion with God is a blessing of such inestimable value that it cannot be sought with too great earnestness or maintained with too great care. If it is no fable that God vouchsafes to his people on such occasions a sense of his gracious presence and, as it were, visits them in love, with what fervor should they desire? With what diligence should they improve so great a mercy? In a particular manner, when a good man hath in view either an important or difficult duty or a dangerous trial, it is in his interest to implore with the greatest importunity the presence and countenance of God, which can only effectually direct him in the one and support him in the other. For what trials may be before us or near us, it is impossible to know. First, then, I am to explain and illustrate a little the nature and subject of holy wrestling and importunity in prayer. Wrestling necessarily supposes some resistance or opposition to overcome. 
prayer indeed of itself, and in the simplest of cases, may be said to carry this idea in it. Because he that prays stands in need of something which he can only obtain by prevailing with or bending the will of another to bestow. There are many gracious assurances of God's readiness to hear our prayers. The subject we are now upon leads us particularly to the consideration to the obstructions and difficulties that lie in the way, either of praying as we ought or praying with success. Witherspoon goes into lengthy discourses on five ways in which Christians convince themselves that they should refrain from prayer. They are guilt over transgressions and sins, feeling that God has rebuked them, a lack of faith in the promises of God, what Witherspoon calls slothfulness of spirit, and then finally not receiving God's answer from prayer. I'll be reading snippets from three of these five discourses, the feeling of being rebuked, the lack of faith, and not receiving God's answer. Witherspoon continues. Now for the illustration of this duty and practice in a way suited to the condition and daily experience of the children of God, I shall mention some of the chief obstructions or difficulties we have to wrestle with in our access to God and which may be overcome by the importunity and holy violence of prayer. One difficulty to overcome is a frowning providence discouraging the mind when great calamities are brought upon the believer, when one stroke follows upon the back of another when in challenges, and providence punishes him. He is then in danger of giving up his condition as desperate and without remedy. When the rod of correction falls heavy, the Christian finds it very difficult to believe that it comes from the love of the Father and is rather apt to tremble under it as the severity of a judge. He that wrestles in prayer considers the depth of divine providence with reverence. He dwells upon the wisdom and power of God, who alone can bring light out of darkness and order out of confusion. He taketh hold of his covenant and the sure everlasting mercy that is contained in it, and humbly and earnestly prays for a universal and absolute resignation to the divine will. This, my brethren, is one of the greatest and most important objects of prayer, and what believers should wrestle with for the greatest, with the greatest fervor and importunity. They should cry mightily to God and expostulate earnestly with their own hearts, as the psalmist in chapter 42, verses 9 through 11. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? With a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my spirit. Thus is the state and practice of a distressed and afflicted Christian wrestling with God. Another difficulty which arises from unbelieving, another difficulty that arises from unbelieving thoughts and inward temptations which distress the spirit. Prayer takes its rise from and is carried on by faith. 
Prayer indeed is little else than the immediate and lively exercise of faith. For who would apply or who can apply to God for any mercy but from a persuasion that he is present to hear and that he is able and willing to bestow? Now, when this faith begins to fail, either from its natural weakness or from negligence, from the subtle insinuations or the more violent assaults from the adversary of our salvation, it must be a great hindrance to the exercise of prayer. Many are the difficulties of this kind which the Christian, from time to time, hath to struggle with. Sometimes he is made to doubt of the certainty and sometimes of the meaning of the promises. We see some distressed persons so embarrassed with scruples or so misled by controversy as to lose the relish and spiritual comfort of the word of God while they are contending about it. Sometimes they are made to doubt their own title to apply to the promises which appear like a rich and sumptuous table encompassed with a flaming sword forbidding their approach. Thus they are led away from the consolation of Israel and made to seek in vain for a foundation of comfort in themselves. Is not intemperance the cause of disease? Is not slothfulness the way to poverty? Is not negligent tillage the cause of a barren field? And is not restraining prayer also the way to barrenness of spirit? Believe it, my brethren, fervent prayer is as sure and effectual means of obtaining those mercies which may be lawfully prayed for, as plowing and sowing is of obtaining the fruits of the ground. I may mention one other difficulty which we have to struggle with in prayer, vis-a-vis when it pleases God to postpone for a season his compliance with our requests. Though his ears are always open to the cry of his people, he sometimes carries on in such a manner as if they were fast closed against them. Though their petitions be offered up in faith, And on a subject agreeable to the will of God, they may not always be granted in the manner, in the measure, or in the season that they themselves desire, or even in their imperfect judgment may think most proper. A parent may pray for the salvation of his children, and his desires may be gone up with acceptance before the throne, although the accomplishment is yet far distant, and then seem for a time to increase unto more ungodliness. An afflicted person may have actually obtained the sanctified improvement of his affliction, although he cannot yet perceive the ends of divine providence in it, the comfortable discovery of which may be a feast reserved for him at some future season, or in general, a mercy may be granted with advantage and increase, though it be suspended for a time. In this interval, however, the Christian eyes may be ready to fail with looking long. He may be in danger of ceasing his application or abating his fervor through despair or distress. Therefore, we have many exhortations in Scripture to perseverance and importunity in prayer. We are exhorted to pray without ceasing and to continue instant in prayer. Our Savior in Luke 18, I spoke a parable on purpose to teach men that they ought always to pray and not to faint. And in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. 
I shall observe that all these obstructions are at the direction and disposal of providence for the trial in the faith and patience of believers, and therefore their perseverance under and constancy in opposition to them is considered an imitation of the patriarch Jacob in his wrestling with God. Before proceeding to the remaining part of this subject, suffer me to make a practical improvement on what hath already been said. In the next part, uh, Witherspoon notes that it is God's desire that we be engaged with him, uh, not as a distant father figure, but actually engaged in a daily struggle, and people of all walks of life can succeed in being engaged through the power of prayer. Let us hence learn the infinite grace and condescension of God who not only admits his people to communion with him, but invites and encourages them to the most pressing importunity, and even, so to speak, to offer a holy violence to him. Well, maybe say with Job chapter 7, verses 17 and 18, What is man that thou shouldst magnify him, and that thou shouldst visit him every morning and try him every moment? This is the dignity of human nature indeed, not from what he is in himself, but what he may be with un by union with God through Christ. For through him we have all access to one spirit unto the Father, and if nearness to God is so great a privilege, who would not covet it? Who would not cultivate it? Surely all but those who, in their final condemnation, disbelieve and despise it. You see, my brethren, that wrestling with God arises from a deep impression of the infinite and unspeakable importance of the blessings and prospect and their absolute necessity to the practitioner. This will make him still insist and urge his request and, as it were, refuse to let go his hold. There may be many a Christian who knows what it is to pour out his heart before God and spread his sins and sorrows at his feet who would not be fit for leading the devotion of a public or promiscuous assembly. Yet he may be the person who, as a prince, hath power with God and prevails. We sometimes meet with persons whose language and prayer is so unspeakably superior to their abilities or performances of other kinds as to show that they have unction with, from the Holy One and that they are examples of the accomplishment of that promise. I must conclude the subject at this time with earnestly exhorting you all to the diligent exercise of this duty. And that I may be more distinct and effectual, I shall briefly point out to you the following objects of prayer. Be fervent in prayer for the improvement of the spiritual life of your own souls. Prayer is at once the security and comfort of a Christian. Hate, fear, Prevent as much as you lieth everything that may obstruct your regularity and earnestness in this duty. Be earnest in your supplication and importune in your pleading for the church of Christ and the glory of his kingdom, especially in your native country. The languishing state of religion in this nation and the threatening aspect of providence should press us to this duty. And surely, in proportion as our belief of the truths of the gospel is real and prevalent, we must behold transgressions with grief 
and be ready to intercede for a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Be earnest for a season for the power of God at this approaching communion. We serve an all-sufficient and unchangeable God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is able to pour down his spirit in a large and plentiful measure and make it a happy time for the espousal of many sinners to Christ and for the edifying of his saints, that they may go on their way rejoicing and eating the bread of gladness with singleness of heart. Pray for the ministers of the gospel. The apostles often asked for this assistance of the faithful. If you believe the efficacy of prayer, you must be sensible that your diligence in this respect will prepare ministers for you and you for them. In the last place, I would earnestly recommend to you the exercise of joint and social conference in prayer. There is a great danger of extinguishing the heavenly flame if, while you are necessarily surrounded with a flood of ungodly men, you do not often associate with the excellent ones of the earth. If we know the benefit of united bodies for business and trade, if we find the pleasure of joining together for mutual entertainment and social converse, must not as great a benefit result from a more sacred union? Serious persons, by associating together, direct each other by their counsels, embolden each other by their examples, and assist each other with their prayers. So that was a lot of words. There's a lot of wisdom within the entire sermon, and I do highly recommend that you read that. Uh, if, if you walk away with nothing else uh, from today's sermon, I do ho- highly recommend that you at least walk away with these five points. Pray so that you may better your relationship with God. Pray for the church. Pray so that you have gladness of heart. Pray for your pastors that may, they may teach you God's words. And finally, come together in prayer and support one another. Now may the Lord himself visit you with his gracious presence and make you say with Jacob at Bethel from Genesis 28, verses 16 and 17. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew not. And he was afraid, and he said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven.